Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good afternoon. Welcome to Washington Watch, your source for news and analysis on policy, politics, and culture from a biblical perspective. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, and we have a packed program for you today. So let's start with this. Special Counsel Robert Herr released a 388-page report stating that President Joe Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials following his vice presidency, but recommended the president not face charges. Bottom line is the special counsel, in my case, decided against moving forward with any charges. And this matter is now closed. It may be closed legally, but I'm not so sure politically. Former President Donald Trump is facing 40 criminal charges and a maximum of 450 years in prison for his alleged mishandling of classified documents. Is this another example of a double standard? We're going to talk about it. The Senate advanced a bill earlier today that will fund Ukraine border protection, but not protection of our border. Failure to pass this bill would only embolden autocrats like Putin and Xi, who are nothing more than America's decline. For the information of senators, we are going to keep working on this bill until the job is done. Amazing. That was uh, Senate Scare Leader Chuck Schumer. I haven't seen him doing that much work previously. Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama will join us to provide the latest updates on the border debate and shed light on a list of Chinese military companies operating in the U.S. Hmm, a little alarming. Also today, we'll be joined by Jeff Clark for an in-depth analysis of today's Supreme Court arguments over the state of Colorado's attempt to keep former President Donald Trump off the primary ballot. I think that the question that you have to confront is why a single state should decide who gets to be president of the United States. In other words, you know, this question of whether a former president is disqualified for insurrection uh, to be president again is, you know, just say it. It sounds awfully national to me. That was Supreme Court Justice Alana Kagan earlier today. Later in the program, a topic I generally don't talk about, sports. Professor John Kent throws a warning flag on the $23 billion in bets, a record being waged on Sunday Super Bowl. Is this a reason for concern? We're going to talk about it. And finally, peace and security require total victory over Hamas. We cannot accept anything else. Can you imagine what will happen if we don't have total victory? Hamas leaders have already pledged they'll repeat the October 7th massacre over and over and over again. No nation can accept that. We certainly won't. That is That was Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday. Is the Biden administration keeping Israel from that total victory? Carolyn Glick will be joining us later to discuss the Biden administration's shifting policy toward Israel and why she believes the actions of the Biden administration are leading to the same outcome that we saw in Afghanistan. All right, it's going to be an informative and engaging show, so stay tuned as we delve into these critical topics. You won't want to miss a moment of Washington Watch with me, your host, Tony Perkins. From the halls of power to the front lines of the cultural battles, Washington Watch is your platform for informed discussion and meaningful dialogue, all from a biblical perspective. So stand up, speak up, stay engaged, and let's navigate these pressing issues together. Washington Watch starts now.
Well, after a lively week on Capitol Hill that saw a border agreement collapse and revealed deep rifts among many Senate Republicans, the Senate voted this afternoon to advance a $95 billion emergency spending bill that includes $61 billion for Ukraine and $14 billion for Israel, but, but does not include border security measures. Will the Senate put foreign aid above closing our own southern border? And will such measures remain DOA in the House? Joining me now to discuss this is Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Armed Services Committee and the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor and Pensions. Coach, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Good to see you again. Good to see you. So quite a week in in, in the Senate. Give us the latest. Is uh, the Senate going to pass this bill that will fund security for Ukraine, but not the U.S.? I'm afraid so. We've got a lot of senators up here that think that uh, borders all over the world are more important than our borders. Tony, I I, I just do not understand it. Uh, We got a great opportunity to hold the Democrats accountable and not give any money anywhere else until our border is secure. Uh, the problem is we've been negotiating, not we, but uh, some people on both sides in kind of closed secret negotiations and negotiations ended up, we, we, we basically got what we thought we'd get, nothing uh, that changed. If they would just go with the laws, Tony, that we have on the books that President Trump was using, it'd be a no brainer, but they wanted to change. This bill basically changed everything to what Joe Biden's been doing for three years to make him look like he's been doing the right thing. So most of us voted it down, got it out of the way. We thought we were going to continue to work on it, make it better. But we've got a bunch of, for some reason, senators on a week off next week uh, going to Ukraine and Munich to the Defense uh, uh, Security Council meetings. And I guess they want to take a check over there. But I wouldn't want to be on that plane knowing that I'm taking a check to close somebody else's borders and just leaving ours wide open because that's exactly what's happened. You know, Senator, I've been around a while. I've watched this process. This is one of the only leverage points that Republicans have. And and when you're negotiating, you find out what the other side wants, and then that's that's what you use to extract what you want. For some reason, this administration, the Democratic Party, enamored with funding for Ukraine, they have made very clear they want this. And if we're going to let this pass with not attaching or securing some type of provisions for our own border, I don't see another measure coming through that would allow us to do that. Tony, in three years going on four that I've been up here, this is the only time we've had any kind of leverage against the Democrats. And it's something they want. They want to fund Ukraine for some reason. I haven't voted to give a dime. Now, I want them to do well, but all we've done is funded mass killings over there, Ukrainians and Russians. We need to get this thing over with. Nobody has negotiated. I'm anxious to see what uh, Tucker Carlson has done with his interview with Vladimir Putin that's coming out. But uh, the whole thing about this is uh, the Democrats want an open border. They're globalist. All of them are. Uh, Some of them say they're not, but they are. Uh, they don't care about the American citizen. They care about transitioning our country into something else and holding on to power. All these people are, are, they're not citizens, but they're still counted in the census and redistricting. And what it's going to do, it's going to change congressional seats. 
Uh, it's going to move more to their direction, and uh, it's 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 just devastating to the people that that work hard in this country that pay about 50% taxes to either state or local, uh, local or federal government and makes it harder on them. Well, you also know, Senator Tuberville, that this is a security issue for our nation. We're talking about fight, helping Ukraine fight their battles. We know, we know that there have been those that have come across the border, some of them caught, many of them not, who want to do harm to us. They're here not because they want a nice job or because they're looking for a better living for their family. They're coming here to do us harm. My understanding, Tony, in just the last couple of months, we've stopped 50 uh, people coming across the border that have been members of al-Qaeda. And they had just been released into the country. Uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing to me. We, you know, you got to take your hat off to uh, Governor Abbott, and I wish he had done it sooner but better late than never of just basically taking uh, everything into his own hands and saying, we're, we're closing our border. Enough is enough. But, you know, every border is a border state. Now, look at these inner cities. I feel bad for the people trying to pay the taxes just to keep up with what's going on. Uh, the police, uh, the law enforcement is absolutely being attacked. And it's, it's just devastating. And we are going to have a Another 9-11. Christopher Ray, the FBI director, at a hearing about six months ago said, it's coming. Uh, our borders are open. People are coming across the border. But these Democrats don't care. They want power and they want votes. Now, I feel pretty confident in conversations with the, uh, the House Speaker that if this bill does move out of the Senate, it's not going to go. It's not going to go anywhere in the House. So where do you think um, yeah. we end up? Well, I'm counting my blessings that happens. And we're staying up here. We're supposed to be gone today and gone for about 12, 14 days and working back home in our districts. But we're going to stay here till Tuesday so they can at least get a shot and tell the people in Ukraine and Israel uh, that uh, they're fighting hard for their borders. Now, I'm all for Israel. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm vote today to, to send over what they need. But I saw yesterday right. in a New York Times article that, uh, uh, Israel is sending weapons, weapons that we've given to Israel. They're sending those weapons to Ukraine. Uh, nobody can give you an answer on that or why and, uh, why that's happening, who who gave the authority to that. But there's all kind of things going on behind the scenes, Tony. This is not the America you and I have known for all of our lives. And hopefully we can change the White House because that's the whole answer. Everybody says, right. what do we got to do? We got to change the White House. If we don't change the White House and we can continue down this road, uh, I will never get it back. So it's uh, we're going to try to get some kind of border deal, but they're not going to give it to us. Uh, we're going to try to slow down the spending with almost 35 trillion in debt. Our economy is everybody says, well, it's great. Look at the stock market. Our economy is tanked because we're Tony, we're borrowing eighty thousand dollars a second right now. 4.6 million a minute. Now you think about that. And we're already almost 35 trillion in debt. And everybody says, well, well how come the economy is so good? Because it's on government borrowed money. Right. And sooner or later, we got to pay it back. It's a house of cards. It's a house of cards. Um, by the way, the, uh, the appropriations bills that the Senate has not passed, they haven't had time to, to do those. If you get a chance to talk to Senator Schumer, since you all are staying in, maybe uh, maybe you could do some of those appropriations bills. They're not going to do that, Tony. He wants an omnibus bill. 
he wants a build where he can just take all the all the pork and everything and throw into a big pile and and pay off all these mayors and governors and all these blue states. It's a joke when it comes to a budget. The whole place is a joke, to be honest with you. We could be working on it, you know, daily, but we'd never do anything other than vote on nominations and worry about giving money to foreign countries that that don't that shouldn't be getting money before we help the American people first. Right. And that's, as you said, it's up to elections. Very quickly, we got like 30 seconds left. You were over at the Supreme Court today. Uh, are you encouraged by what you heard at the court? Yeah, I, I think it's going to end up uh, the way it should go. Again, this is not for Republican or Democrat, because if you were to take Trump off uh, of the ballot, you'd have red states taking Biden off the ballot. So, uh, it, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, I think the big uh, news for the day, Tony, was elderly man with a poor memory. Uh, they're letting Joe Biden off because I don't know if you've seen this, but they're letting him yes. off with having all the documents. Elderly man with a poor memory. Man, our country's right. come along. Uh, I'm actually going to talk about that next, Senator. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Coach. Always great to see you. Thank you, Tony. God bless. Folks, we are. We're going to talk about that next. We're going to talk about this double standard of justice. President, uh, former President Donald Trump looking at 450 years for having mishandling, allegedly mishandling classified documents while President Biden gets off scot-free. We're also going to talk about the uh, Supreme Court case today, arguing whether or not President, uh, former President Trump can stay on the ballot in Colorado. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. A lot more straight ahead. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. 
However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you and contact information for our guests. All right, some big news today. Uh, In addition to the Supreme Court having oral arguments, um, in a case that could have a major impact on the 2024 presidential election, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments decide uh, former President Trump's eligibility to hold office again based upon Colorado's decision to prohibit the former president from placement on the state's Republican primary ballot. Uh, Looked like it uh, leaned toward common sense that the state doesn't have the ability to do that. Another issue, and uh, Coach Coverville mentioned that on the way out, was the special counsel, Robert Hur, releasing his report, 388 pages, saying that the president, that is President Biden, willfully retained and disclosed classified materials following his vice presidency, but he recommended that the commander-in-chief not face charges. And, and this this is a, a quote that a lot of people are picking up on from the report, said he would likely, and this is a quote, he would likely present himself to a jury as he did during our interview of him as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory, end quote. Joining me now to talk about this, Jeff Clark, former U.S. Assistant Attorney General and now Senior Fellow and Director of Litigation at the Center for Renewing America. Jeff, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to be here, Tony. And uh, it's a historic day, I think, both with this uh, Robert Hur report you just covered and with the Supreme Court oral argument in the Colorado case. Well, I think the one that is probably the easiest to handle based upon the oral arguments might be the Supreme Court. It looked like it tilted in favor of former President Donald Trump and not Colorado. I think that's right. And look, I think it was a complete smackdown. It's like, you know, WWE smackdown day. I've I've rarely seen an argument of such high profile that was, uh, according to the mainstream media, given so much hype, so much pomp uh, of, you know, this could be the end of Trump, even though there were some uh, commentators on the left recognizing that it was a long shot. Uh, They really pumped this up with Judge Ludig and others. But my, I listened to the whole oral argument. My read of it is, my listen of it is that uh, this is going to be at least an eight to one decision, and it might be unanimous. I think the question mark for me is a full question mark on Justice Sotomayor. Will she be convinced to go along with the majority on one or more rationales? Uh, And there's probably a half question mark I have on uh, Justice Jackson, uh, but she seemed to be very attracted to the theory 
that the president was deliberately not listed in the list of offices that uh, you're disqualified from under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, uh, because that list starts with senator, then goes to representative. It's a hierarchically arranged list. And the president's not there. The vice president's not there. And she came back to that several times. So I think this is disastrous for those who were predicting that uh, President Trump was going to be held guilty of an insurrection. And I think the Supreme Court is going to make relatively short work of this, Tony. You know, Jeff, all of these things that go back to Donald Trump's presidency, you know, the congressional investigations, the indictments uh, or the, uh, the impeachments, it's kind of like it's this echo chamber that the left has. They get themselves all worked up into a froth. And when you actually look at the facts, it doesn't work out in their favor. Right. Oftentimes that's true. But I think that their game is larger than just the game of whether they win a particular case. They, uh, you know, President Trump really has to win all of these things. Uh, He should win all of them. But they hope that, you know, some ball falls through the cracks and they just they love the drumbeat of one case after another after another. And they're also forcing all these cases to go to the Supreme Court and they're eating up his capital. Right. At some point, you know, litigants get so noisy. The court kind of says, you know, uh, you know, can't we just kind of be done with this? But. But I think the American people also see that they're starting to to see what's going on here. None of this stuff is sticking. Yes, it is wearing him down. I'm amazed he's still standing. But I, I think they're losing credibility with each one of of these. And at least I, 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 I that's my sense that Americans are starting to see through this. I think you're right. And I had said very early on when they started this whole lawfare campaign that the optimal number of cases to bring against President Trump, if you're uh, an evil minded person on the other side who wants to do this, whether the cases are meritorious or not, and I think all the cases are not meritorious, is you bring two. Why two? Because if you bring one, you know, maybe one fails, you want to have a backup. But if you bring three, four, five, you bring civil cases, you bring cases from cities, you know, you bring, uh, you know, uh, uh, cases under RICO, you bring cases under national security, the Espionage Act, et cetera. It starts to look like there's just one person they want to take out because they don't want to run against him and because they're in fear of what happens if he returns to the presidency. And I do think the American people see through that, uh, Tony. Yeah. Speaking of things they see through, uh, Jeff, I I think they're beginning to see through our system of justice and they're seeing a double standard. I mean, speak to this elderly man with a poor memory. Uh, You know, Tony, obviously, I have not gotten in the in the short time that uh, this news is broken through the whole report that Robert Herb put out. But, uh, you know, I think this is predictable. Everybody knew that this is where. Biden and Garland had lined things up to go. And, uh, you know, I think her was essentially kind of working within his implicit marching orders. And so he's come to the conclusion he's not going to prosecute him. It seems like he's doing that under what I'll call the uh, senility exception that, you know, President Biden has a poor memory at this point. He didn't always have a poor memory. He wasn't always old. And as Biden himself was noting, this goes back to the time, not just that he was vice president for Obama, but to the time where he was a senator. So did he have a a, a poor memory during all of those periods of time? I don't think so. So, you know, maybe if he testified, he would present himself as a sympathetic elderly man to a jury. 
But the argument of, of prosecutors, if they were being energetic, would be, uh, yeah, but you weren't, you didn't have those conditions at this time. And, you know, you knew when you took these documents from Afghanistan and nat other national security documents that this was a serious matter, right? If you're applying the same standards to him as you are to President Trump, even if you imagine that he was equal to a president, but he wasn't at any time equal to a president. He's actually right. more poorly situated than Trump, right? Because he was only a vice president, and vice presidents don't have declassification authority unless right. the president gives it to him. And then he was a senator where he had zero declassification authority. So this, right. it's just a whitewash, Tony. It's really uh, but, another travesty. But if it is true, it, it should have some bearing on his re-election as president. Jeff, we got to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to see you. All right, folks, stick around. More after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. So what are the odds that uh, I would talk about sports here on Washington Watch? Normally, not too high. However, a big game is coming up this weekend. You may have heard about it. I think it's called the Super Bowl, right? Look, as states fall over themselves to legalize and promote gambling, an estimated 68 million Americans are expected to place more than $23 billion worth of bets on the outcome. For years, the various American sports leagues have distanced themselves from gambling, but not anymore. They've become as anxious to get in on the action as many states and local governments, all with little concern that gambling is anything but 
a level playing field for those who participate. Join me now to discuss this is Dr. John Kent, Professor Emeritus of Business Administration at the University of Illinois. Professor Kent has uh, studied and been outspoken on the issue of gambling for the past four decades. In fact, I worked with his material back when I was in uh, the Louisiana legislature quite a few years ago. Professor Kent, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Nice to see you again, Tony. And uh, I know you feel a bit like uh, the prophet Jeremiah. You predicted all of these social negatives 35 years ago, and, and the academics backed you up, and you are absolutely right. Well, let's talk about, you know, I, it wasn't too long ago that the NFL was actually working to prohibit legalized gambling, but it looks like now the sports leagues are all on board. Yeah, the, the money's just too big, so they're, they're all going after the bucks, and they don't care about the social and economic consequences. Uh, I really have to read, uh, for all the gamblers out there, I have to read the uh, Wall Street Journal from last year's Super Bowl weekend. And this is their quote, not me. Quote, the delays in betting mean that sports books are one or two plays ahead of millions of viewers, end quote. So streaming sports gamblers are, quote, dead in the water, end quote. Now, this is what is called past posting. The plays have already been run, and people are still taking bets on these. So they'll, they'll, the, the sports books will take the bets if they're going to win. And they won't take the bets if they're going to lose. But, but they know in advance what for millions of players. So all these hotshot young people out there who think that this is a level playing field, it is not a level playing field. And what are deemed to be the regulations or the the color of legality and the color of regulations, uh, millions of people are being cheated on sports gambling. Well, and, I mean, that, that's uh, the nature that's the nature of gambling, as I have found. But but I but I want to talk about the fallout of this. I mean, since we started working on this many years ago, we now have online gambling. And of course, online is, is pretty significant when it comes to sports gambling. Let's talk about the fallout, the the addictions, the, the impact. What are we seeing out there today? Well, the, the, the press, mainstream press got this 10 years ago. You can see right here on uh, on Newsweek cover, they're going after kids. And the American um, Psychiatric Association has compared and designated gambling addiction. This is an addiction. Gambling addiction is comparable to drug addiction. And gambling addiction online is comparable to cocaine, crack cocaine addiction or fentanyl addiction. Uh, that, that's my beautiful wife there on the phone. Uh, are, are and, you uh, I, I think you're probably addicted to her, though, aren't you? Oh, I, I'm certainly addicted to her. Well, that's a her. good addiction. Uh, yeah, I, I caught her flirting with the uh, pool boy the other day. Good news is I'm the pool boy. So <laughs> the... Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, yeah, let me mention something about 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes did a, a report on this on Sunday, uh, February 4th. And the head of the Gambling Association, the main lobbying group in Washington, D.C., gave the following quote, quote, I don't believe that there is an addiction to mobile betting, end quote. Now, he went on to say more about that. 
But I have a report back here that you've probably seen, Tony, back from the 1990s, financed by the gambling industry. Right. They were trying to push the American Psychiatric Association in, into not declaring this an addiction. Yeah. So we know that this is an addiction. They've spent millions of dollars trying to uh, move academia the other way. Right. And we've seen with social media platforms how they craft it so it is addictive and you combine that with gambling this is explosive all right we're going to run out of time professor kent so what do parents need to be doing what what steps do we need to be taking well well, uh, parents need to be going online and seeing what their kids are taking to bed with them at night this this is click click your um, uh, slots lose your tots right here on the phone Uh, click your mouse lose your house uh, this is a real addiction that um, uh, is very detrimental to uh, to people, and people need to realize it's an addiction. Young men need to realize, in particular, need to realize you can't win. You can't beat right. AI. Right. You can't win, and they're going to sucker you in and take take and, you to the clinic. And, and people feel, well, I can, I'll just stick a toe in. I'll just check it out. But it, it, it sucks you in, and before you know it, as I said, get the mouse, you lose your house. Uh, Professor Kent, always great to see you. Thank you for continuing to stay on this issue. Well, thank you for all that you do. I DVR your program every day. It's a great information and educational resource, uh, along with other informational resources. You do a great job letting people know what's going on. Well, thank you, Professor. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And folks, look, uh, it, it is a concern for our kids, but it's a concern for everyone. And we need to stop it at the local and the state level as well. Speak out against this stuff. It's not harmless. All right, don't go away. More Washington Watch on the other side of the break. As Aaron Glick joins us talk about Israel and the Biden administration. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be giving guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold 
or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. to Washington. Watch the website is TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. Lots of resources there for you. Well, our word for today comes from Exodus chapter 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. You know, God had previously said the showdown with Pharaoh was so Egypt and everyone else would know that there was no God like Jehovah. Now, this passage reveals more about why God didn't lead them into the promised land on the HOV lane without all the drama. Remember this, God wastes nothing, and his focus is not on our comfort and convenience, but his glory in our story. God was making them a people by giving them a story, a legacy for them and their children, all for his glory. To join us in our journey through the Bible, text BIBLE to 67742. Well, last October, President Biden traveled to Tel Aviv, where he delivered an emotional speech telling the people of Israel, quote, as long as the United States stand and we will stand forever, we will not let you ever be alone, end quote. But since then, the Biden administration has hampered Israel at almost every turn undermining Israel's ability to defeat Hamas and eliminate the threat of terror right next door. They've limited their military options while strangely appearing to appease the regime in Iran. Now, some are asking, is the Biden administration setting up Israel to suffer the same fate as Afghanistan? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Carolyn Glick. She's a senior contributing editor at the Jewish News Syndicate and host of the Carolyn Glick Show on Jewish News Syndicate. Carolyn, welcome to Washington Watch. Good to have you back. Thanks so much for having me on your program, Tony. I appreciate it very much. Well, you, um, you're sounding the alarm over this. You have a, a recent column, which I've read, and by the way, there's a link at TonyPerkins.com, on the Biden administration's diplomatic efforts in the region what they've been doing, and you asked this question, why is the United States continuing to hamper the ability of the Israeli Defense Forces in Gaza? Now, you make that statement based upon a number of facts that you present. Tell us about it. 
Well, you know, for the past three months, I've been documenting the various ways that the Biden administration has been hampering the IDF's operations, um, whether it's through their demand for humanitarian aid, which we now know that 60 to 70 percent of all of the food and medicines and fuel coming into Gaza at the U.S.'s demand go directly to Hamas. So it's not actually going to the people of Gaza. And the only way to make sure that they would get the relief that they require is for them to leave Gaza, just as Ukrainians leave Ukraine and Syrians left Syria, and everybody leaves war zones in order to seek refuge. So the Biden administration is barring the Palestinians from leaving Gaza to seek refuge. And as a result, uh, they're forcing them to remain beholden to Hamas and blocking Israel from being able to win the war. What, 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 um, so let, let me stop. Let me, let me stop you right there. I, I want to make sure everybody has heard what you said. The, the Biden administration is prohibiting refugees, those in Gaza who we're, we're hearing all this international commotion about them being collateral, you know, damn, they're being impacted by Israel's uh, fight against Hamas. But America has shut the door in keeping them from fleeing to safety? Yes, they have. They've said that they absolutely under no circumstances will allow forced migration, but it's not forced migration. Did you know that Gazans are paying $10,000 bribes to the Egyptian military to let them leave? $10,000. And, you know, the United States pays foreign governments to allow Ukrainians to resettle in their territory or Syrians and so on and so forth. And yet the Gazans have to pay massive bribes to Egyptian uh, uh, corrupt Egyptian uh, soldiers and officers in order to flee. In Israel, we have almost 200,000 internal, I mean, internal, sorry, internal refugees from our northern communities with Lebanon and from our southern communities bordering Gaza because they can't be safe for the duration of the war. They've been living in hotels since October 7th. And uh, the Gazans just keep moving from humanitarian safe zone that Israel sets up for them to one to another. And Hamas is now operating out of these humanitarian safe zones. So anywhere these people go, they're always so, human so shields. They're, they're being used by Hamas as, as cover for their attacks on Israel. Right. Exactly. Now, you, you also point out, and I know this to be a fact as well, because I've been in communications with some Palestinian Christians who are trying to get out, and, and they have a country who will receive them, but they can't get out. They're, these individuals leaving Gaza have places to go, countries that will receive them, but the you say the United States is blocking their exit. Right. There are at least 10 countries have already expressed willingness to accept uh, the Palestinians who want to leave Gaza. And the United States is saying absolutely not under no circumstances and then blaming Israel for the plight of these people um, and demanding that we resupply Gaza, even though they know full well in the administration that that requires Israel to resupply Hamas, prolonging the war, prolonging the uh, the captivity of our hostages that are being held by Hamas, and of course, uh, prolonging the humanitarian suffering of the uninvolved and, civilians and, in Gaza, and increasing the likelihood that they will be um, harmed by Israel's attempts to eliminate the threat of Hamas. Exactly. So that those are just some of the things that the Americans are doing. They're also slow walking ammunition that Israel requires. Uh, to fight the war successfully, not only in Gaza, but also vis-a-vis -vis Hezbollah in Lebanon. And um, 
they're they're uh, now they've been uh, saying that they want to recognize the Palestinian state, which would be the single mm. largest prize any terrorist organization ever received for carrying out a massacre. This is the largest slaughter right. of Jews in the Holocaust, and the Americans it are saying. We want to give them a state. And, and, and I, I want to play a clip in just a moment of Secretary Blinken actually making that statement. We've talked about this multiple times on the program because it's crazy. We've, we've had essentially a two-state solution, if you want to call that, since 2007 when Hamas took over uh, jurisdiction of Gaza. So you, that's what you would get. This would be the outcome. But, but I want to go to something else that you pointed out in your, your piece, and I want you to elaborate on this, that in the negotiations for the release of hostages, which the United States has been involved in, apparently doing some shuttle diplomacy, that in exchange, no, set the stage here, and correct me on anything I say that's wrong, please correct me. But we have Israelis who, on October the 7th, you know, we had this massacre. Some were taken back to Gaza. They're being held. Some have been released. But there's negotiations to, to try to get more released. And part of the exchange is to release terrorists, that Israel has to release terrorists. Correct? So, yeah, we are, we're, in a, we're in a pathological uh, tailspin right now with these uh, negotiations that are being led by CIA Director William Burns, who, by the way, together with Jake Sullivan, who's the National Security Advisor, they were the ones who made the nuclear deal with Iran under the Obama administration that essentially pays Iran billions of dollars and gives them a glide path to a nuclear arsenal. So the same William Burns is now overseeing these hostage negotiations, and the hostage negotiations aren't give back the hostages, release the hostages, or or return Gaza into a parking lot. No, what they're saying is, um, if you give back the hostages, we will free thousands of terrorist murderers, including the murderers and the rapists who carried out the massacre of October 7th. Um, and they're talking right now about a scale of what, for every hostage they release, they're holding 136, and at least somewhere around 95 of them are, are, are thought to still be alive, at least. Um, so they're talking about letting out one hostage per day, and um, in, in exchange, Israel is supposed to release between 100 and 250 terrorists that it's holding in its prisons. And... Um, it's only supposed to be one hostage per day. It's supposed to go on for 40 days. And during those 40 days, so not all of the hostages are supposed to be released. And during those 40 days, um, Israel is not allowed uh, to continue its war against Hamas. And in fact, not only that, we're, we're supposed to end surveillance flights by drones so that the Hamas can rebuild their terrorist infrastructure. Uh, and Israel won't have eyes to see what they're doing. They can move the hostages. We won't have eyes to see what they're doing. So, and Burns himself has been reported by the Wall Street Journal and the Arab media promising Hamas that the United States will prevent Israel from reinstating its military operations against Hamas. So they're using this hostages for terrorists and ceasefire deal to try to force Israel to lose the war not to win and to let Hamas survive, which means to win this war, which, as Prime Minister Netanyahu said last night in a primetime uh, news conference, will guarantee that the next massacre, which will be even greater in scale, I might add, is just a matter of time. Whoa. So we cannot accept this outcome, and that's the outcome that the Biden administration is now trying to force upon us 
Um, and I would assume that it's against the will of the American people, which I know is very much behind us. But the Biden administration's goal right now is to force Israel to stop fighting this war, even at the cost of strategic defeat. And so it's, we're in a very dangerous moment right now. A couple of observations, Carolyn, on, on that would be this would be rewarding terrorists. I mean, this, this will only incite more, baby. In, in fact, I would think this would be signaling to Iran that they have a green light to do whatever they want. I agree with you 100%. This is the worst thing from a signaling perspective that the United States could possibly do. As Prime Minister Netanyahu said yesterday in his, in his news conference, the entire Arab world and Iran are sitting in the balcony overlooking the stage that we're playing upon, and they want to see what Israel does. If we don't fight to victory, it's not just that we won't have normalized relations with Saudi Arabia. All of our peace agreements with the Egyptians, with the Jordanians, the Abraham Accords, all of them will fall by the wayside because the Arabs will be convinced that Israel is too weak to trust and that they're better off trying to cut right. a deal with Iran. And as for the United States, if the United States is going to betray its allies to such a profound degree that they're demanding that Israel lose this war, then the United States will be finished as a superpower. And the war that's being waged against us and against U.S. military forces in the region are going to uh, very quickly start attacking Americans at home. There's absolutely right. no doubt about that. I, 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 I agree. I agree. I'm, I, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm thinking here in history where such an close alliance that has historically been between Israel and the United States going back to 1948, where an ally has ever treated their ally like this. I'm, 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 I don't know. I guess you could look. You said Afghanistan, and you can, I guess, look at South Vietnam as well. But, but, um, but, but, it, but, but we didn't have that close alliance. I mean, we're like, no. we're, we're like this. We have been historically. I mean, America, I think our future is intertwined with Israel's, quite frankly. And I say that as an evangelical believer. I want to play a clip from, uh, you, you mentioned uh, the prime minister, and he made this uh, remarks last night. Uh, this was actually to his press briefing, I think, uh, yesterday. Clip number four. Total victory of Hamas will not take years. It will take months. Victory is within reach. And when people talk about the day after, let's be clear about one thing. It's the day after all of Hamas is destroyed. Not half of Hamas, not three quarters of Hamas, all of Hamas. Now, Carolyn, I know there's been a lot of dynamics in the politics there in, in Israel, but it, it appears that Israelis have put divisions aside, and there's unity in what the prime minister is proposing and what he's saying has to be done. It's not just that, Tony. Now, right now, I'm in Washington spending the, spending the week on Capitol Hill, speaking to our friends on Capitol Hill. Um, and if I weren't, if I were home in Israel this evening, I would be speaking at a rally that tens and tens of thousands of Israelis have gathered at right now as we speak in Jerusalem outside of the government headquarters. It's a rally that was organized by Israel Defense Force reservists who have been uh, fighting in Gaza for the past three months and were recently released. And they're demanding, these are fathers, these are, these are, these are adults, civilians who were drafted on October 7th in emergency orders, and they're demanding to be remobilized, <coughs> excuse me, remobilized and sent back into battle so that we can win this war. 
because, <clears throat> oh my God, something got in my throat. They realize that Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu is right. <clears throat> right. We are winning this war. We have destroyed the vast majority of Hamas's military uh, power, and we mustn't leave in the middle of the battle. We have to win, and we see that the United States pressure that's being placed on Israel is being placed on Israel in order to prevent that from happening. I don't know when you've ever seen a people who has been so mobilized for war and for victory and understand the imperative of winning against Hamas, not in, in points, but in a knockout, the way that the United States beat Imperial Japan and Nazi Germany in 1945. We understand that unless we have a victory that is so profound that it can't be denied anywhere in the world, whether you know, in the South Pole or the North Pole or points in between, and everybody understands that the Israelis won, then it's just a matter of time before right. we face another massacre, as Prime and, Minister Netanyahu said last night. And your security is, again, tied to our security. Israel must prevail. And, um, and I know that we are going to do everything we can. I've had multiple conversations even this week on the Hill with, uh, with members and the leadership, and uh, we're going to continue to do that. Uh, Carolyn Gleck, let me thank you for joining us. Always great to talk with you. Very insightful, very helpful. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. And God bless you and all of your, all of your audience for their support for Israel. We really we feel it and we appreciate it. And we know that we can take that to the bank regardless of who is in the White House at any given moment. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And folks, I want to encourage you to pray. Pray. Join us in praying in these 21 days. Text PRAY21 to 67742. All right, we're out of time for today, but pray for the peace of until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. Washington Watch Washington with Tony Watch Perkins with Tony is brought to you by, family, to you family, by Research family Research Council and is entirely, entirely listener-supported. Listener Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today, or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Com. Com. Also, to leave also, a comment, leave about, a Washington comment Washington about Washington Watch, call our watch call line, our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 372 That's 1-866-372-7234.